Well, I'm going to unmute myself. Sorry, Gary. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, and that's in 2 Kings chapter eight, chapters 18 and 19. We're looking at uh, a king named Hezekiah. And if you, if you weren't here last week or you haven't been here with us over the last few weeks, let me just kind of catch you up on where we are. We're talking about what it means to pursue holiness as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we started three weeks ago by talking about just even what that means, that pursuing holiness is beholding and becoming the image of Christ as followers of Jesus in a broken world. And then a couple weeks ago, Kurt Huber, one of our associate pastors, talked to us about why it is that we would even engage in that process. And the reason is because of the gospel. Because in Christ, God has displayed that his grace, his mercy, his love, and his power are greater than our sin. And it's eternally greater than our sin, that Christ's work on the cross has paid uh, the price for our sin. But it's also, he's also temporally greater than our sin. That the power of Christ within us, the power of God working in and through us, is able to empower us to walk through the places where we're struggling. And so the last two weeks, last week and this week, we're talking about how we actually do that. And for that, we're using an example here from the reign of King Hezekiah, specifically kind of the early portion of his reign. And so last week, we laid out kind of a defining principle that as we're pursuing holiness, a principle we need to remind ourselves of all the time is that only God can definitively provide what sin deceitfully promises. That in, in a moment of temptation to do something that we know is outside the will of the Lord, there's some kind of lying, deceitful promise there that we think this is going to fulfill my need for acceptance or this is going to make me feel loved or this is going to make me feel better about myself or whatever the case might be. And so we pursue that thing when in reality, only God can definitively provide our heart with that thing that it's seeking through sin. And we walked through the first three principles or first three practical tips for how it is do we actually pursue holiness in our lives. And we did that by looking at the beginning part of Hezekiah's reign. So the first item we pointed out was that we need to be relentless. We need to be relentless with removing from our lives anything that would cause us to look to something other than the gospel, other than the glory of the Lord. And so Hezekiah, early on in his reign, he goes throughout all of Judah and he's ripping out all of these shrines and high places and temples to false gods and to idols. He's relentless about removing those things so that the people of Judah can no longer look at them. Simultaneously, he's also very, very intentional about refurbishing and rebuilding the temple to Yahweh, the Lord, in Jerusalem. So that while they're removing the thing that they're not supposed to look at, they're refurbishing and making very beautiful the place where they're supposed to be beholding the Lord. We need to do the same things. We need to be relentless with the stuff that would cause us to look to something other than the Lord to provide for us. And we need to be intentional about cultivating a very clear view of the gospel within our own lives. Be relentless, be intentional. And then the third thing is do not coddle a killer. What happens uh, after Hezekiah has undergone this process is that he caves into a different kind of sin. Hezekiah is described as this individual who relied upon the Lord and then this king from Assyria, Sennacherib, he arrives outside Jerusalem with a massive army. They've been sweeping through all of these other nations. And Hezekiah sees that king and the size of that army. And rather than continuing to rely on the Lord and trust in him to deliver Judah from this 
kingdom and from this brutal king, he caves into this fear and he offers a huge sum of money, millions of dollars to the king of Assyria and says, I will give you all of this if you will just go away and leave us alone. And the king says, thank you for that money. We're still going to attack you because that's how the king of Assyria operates. That's how sin operates in your life as well. And so when we coddle it, we try to play nice with it, we make bargains with our sin, it says, thank you, I'm still going to destroy you. Whether that be your relationships or your family or something inside of you emotionally or spiritually or whatever the case might be, do not coddle a killer. That's where we left off last week. Let me make just one more statement before we roll forward. And that's that these, we're gonna end up with a total of 11 of these. They don't operate in, in some nice like linear sort of fashion. They're cyclical. They're working together at the same time. And so while you're being relentless and intentional, it's not that then you wait a little while. And what we're going to see is that Hezekiah takes this issue to the Lord. You don't do all these other things and then take it to the Lord. All of this is happening at the same time. Sometimes you get before the Lord, he reveals your sin to you, and then you're able to be relentless and intentional. Or sometimes you get before the Lord and you're, you're humbly submitting yourself to him and he displays for you within your own heart that, gosh, you've been kind of like playing nice with this thing for years and you need to stop coddling it. You need to be ruthless with your sin or else it will be ruthless with you because that's what it does. So these are, these all operate together. There's no like linear progression here. So let's jump in right where we left off. Hezekiah has refurbished the temple. He's torn down all of these high places. Sennacherib has arrived. Hezekiah has had this moment of lapse and now he's going to return to getting very serious about this issue. I'm going to pick up in 2 Kings 18, verse 19. The royal spokesman, that's the king of Assyria's royal spokesman, said to them, Hezekiah's messengers, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you relying on? You think mere words and strategy are, you think mere words are strategy and strength for war? Like, do you think your own abilities are going to be the thing that saves you? Who are you now relying on that you've rebelled against me? Look, you're relying on Egypt, this other country. You think they're going to ultimately save you? And then he flips it over in verse 22 and says, suppose you say to me, you rely on the Lord our God. Like, what are you trusting in, Hezekiah, that makes you think you could possibly stand against me or possibly overcome me? Look at verse 23. So this messenger from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria says, so now make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Note, he's already given him millions of dollars. All the gold in the temple, stripped all the gold out of the palace, all the gold off the doorposts in the temple. He's already given that. And now the guy says, hey, let's make a bargain. That didn't work out last time. Why would it work this time? Make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to supply riders for them. How then can you drive back a single officer among the least of my master's servants? Coddle this thing. I know you're still afraid. I know you're still having trouble trusting the Lord. Make a bargain. Everything will get better. Jump down, verses 28 and 29. The royal spokesman stood and called out loudly in Hebrew, hear the word of the Lord, the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't rescue you from my power. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord by saying, certainly the Lord will rescue us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. It's just trying to pump and, and 
fill Hezekiah with greater amount of fear and everybody that's listening. So this is taking place right outside of Jerusalem. A, a different part of this story that we jumped over says that the people of Jerusalem are lining the wall and they're listening. And at one point, the messengers from King Hezekiah say, hey, don't, you know, we came out here to speak together. Let's just talk in a language that we understand. Don't speak something that they understand. And Sennacherib's spokesperson says, oh no, they need to hear this too. So there's this big audience watching this whole thing play out. And this is the final plea that the messenger gives. Verse 31. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and surrender to me. Then each of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree and each may drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey so that you may, not, or so that you may live and not die. But don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you saying the Lord will rescue us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever rescued his land from the power of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of, of Hamath and Arpad? Where's the god of Sepharvaim? Hina or Iva, have they rescued Samaria from my power? Who among all the gods of the land has rescued uh, his land from my power? So will the Lord rescue Jerusalem from my power? There's the, the last kind of piece of this that the king of Assyria wants Hezekiah to hear. Nothing can save you. You should be afraid of me. Just send your people out and look at everything that you can have. Water from your own cistern fruit from your own vine, your own fig tree, a land of grain, new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, of olive trees and honey. I mean, it sounds super appealing. But we need to, and this is the next principle here, recognize sin as sin. I hear the insanity of what is offered to Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. Make peace with me and surrender to me. Then each of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree and each may drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own. You can have all this stuff and be slaves. Doesn't that sound great? This hollow shell of an offering. There, there's a wonderful promise in there. Your own bread full cisterns, your own wine, fig trees, honey. It sounds incredible. You'll be slaves, but it sounds incredible. That's what sin does. When there's something in your own life and in your own heart that's making this kind of offer and it sounds so appealing, you'll be accepted fully. You'll finally feel loved. That person you don't like deserves this anyway, right? Sin makes some kind of offering in there. This will fill the void in your heart that you've always felt you'll be a slave, but it will always feel good, right? That's what sin does, and we need to recognize it as such. Hear the serpent from the garden in this. You can be like God. He's holding out on you. There's something better for you than what the Lord has purposed. There's something better for you than what's inside of his will, than what's within the intention of the God who created you and knows best how you live and how you function. And if you would disobey him, you could have it all. You could also be a slave, but you could have it all. It's like Paul in Romans 6. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? The slavery option is the literal 
offer that King Hezekiah receives from the king of Assyria. Come be a slave. I can make everything better. That's at the core of what sin is and we need to recognize it as such. The entire premise behind sin is a lie. You can put makeup on a pig, still a pig, right? The whole premise is a lie and we have to recognize it as such. And in the moment, you might need to say it out loud in order for your heart to recognize it and believe it. This is a lie. This is sin. And if I continually give into it, I become a slave to it. Just say it out loud. Say it loud enough so that your ears hear it and your heart is able to absorb it. Write it down if you have to. Call it out. Recognize sin for what it is. Nothing will kind of put that thing and the ugliness of it into focus, like forcing yourself to say out loud that lying right now is a sin. Gossiping right now is a sin. Coveting right now is a sin. And man, everything takes on a totally different focus if you're telling yourself exactly what you're dealing with. Recognize it for what it is. Look at what happens in verses 36 and 37. This spokesman gives this proclamation to all these people who are listening and then verse 36, but the people kept silent. They did not answer him at all for the king's command was don't answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and reported to him the words of the royal spokesman. Not only do we need to recognize sin as sin, then we need to treat sin as sin. Imagine just the fantastic awkwardness and tension of this moment. This spokesperson has come. He thinks he's got this like undeniable offer for the people of Jerusalem. And he casts it out there and he paints this picture of, you know, it sounds a lot like how God was describing the promised land to the Israelites back in Exodus. It's a land of milk and honey, vineyards and cisterns and vines and fig trees. And it sounds amazing, right? And he gets to the end of his speech and there's just total silence. He probably kind of stepped back there in the launderer's field, which is where I said this was taking place outside one of the walls of Jerusalem and thought people were just gonna come flooding toward him and nothing happens. It's totally silent. It's just blinking eyes and blank stares and straight faces because Hezekiah has prepared them for this moment. Hey, we're gonna be silent. We're gonna resist the lie. And instead of caving to that, we're gonna do something else. We're not going to coddle it. We're not gonna make a bargain with it. We're not gonna make peace like this messenger offered. We're gonna be relentless and we're going to be intentional. We're going to treat this fearful kind of lack of trusting sin for exactly what it is. Hear it as a lie, call it what it is, and then just not respond to it. This is the Old Testament picture, if you will, of the encouragement that we get in the New Testament, specifically about sexual immorality, but about all sin, to just flee from it. Leave it alone. Get as far away as possible. Let me give an example. You're in a conversation with a couple of coworkers. Somewhere along the line, the conversation is turned to a third-party individual that everybody knows but who is not present. And as that conversation continues, it's becoming less and less flattering about the person that's not there. And something triggers in your heart or in your mind at some point where you think, gosh, this feels kind of gossipy. 
So you're thinking to yourself, this feels like gossip. I should not take part in this. How often do we actually, in that moment, just remove ourselves from the situation? I can be honest, not very often. It doesn't mean that I'll participate and jump in and pile on with everybody else, but I'll stand there and just passively take part, and it's not healthy for my heart. It's not doing anybody any good. Even when I recognize it as sin, I don't treat it as such and just get away from it. Be, be silent like this. Like, let's move ourselves out of the situation. Recognize sin as sin. Treat sin as sin. And then look at the first verse of chapter 19. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth. That's Old Testament imagery for like, he's broken, he's weeping, he's coming before the Lord for just all kinds of help and humility. And then he says, and he went into the Lord's temple. We need to then deal with sin as sin. And that requires getting ourselves into a posture of active submission. Remember, pursuing holiness is not passive, but it's also not something that you do entirely on your own. It's a continuous act of active submission. Hezekiah has been very active up to this point, destroying the shrines and these idols to false gods, are these uh, places of worship to false gods. He's been refurbishing the temple, right? He's told the people to be silent, but now he puts himself into this posture of submission and he goes before the Lord. And we're gonna get a, a picture here, starting in verse 14 of chapter 19, of what that submission looks like. Let me kind of illustrate these three things all in one package. Recognize sin is sin, treat sin as sin, deal with sin as sin. You've got a six-year-old child. They're outside playing in the front yard. You're doing something inside, kind of peeking out the windows every once in a while just to make sure everything's okay. At one point, you realize that your child's not there anymore. And you think, that's pretty weird. So you go and you check the backyard. Not in the backyard either. You go outside on the front steps and you're looking around. You're looking on both sides of the house. You can't find your child when suddenly they round the corner down the street and they come back to you. Where did you go? Your child says, well, there was this really creepy van, like no windows, kind of a scary dude inside. And as he drove by, he put the window down and he, he offered me candy if I would get in the van. And I thought, you know, that sounds weird. I'm only six, but that, it felt off. But I decided I would follow the van, see where it was going, see if he made the offer to any other kids that were outside. So I followed him around the corner for a little ways asked him some questions, tried to get to know the guy. But then I just came back home. I think it's fine. He seemed, he seemed nice. And you're thinking to yourself, excuse me, what? <laughs> like, we don't talk to strangers, right? In fact, you run away from strangers. Somebody offers you candy that you don't know, you run away and you come to me and then I will call the police. Recognize it for what it is treat it as such, and then I'll deal with it. We cloak sin oftentimes within our, un, our own lives within this language of struggle. I'm struggling with, fill in the blank, which really means I'm kind of following the van. Like I recognize that something's not right, but I'm also not really doing anything to get all the way away from it. I kind of follow it around the corner, ask it some questions, kind of get to know it a little bit. That's how we treat our sin most often. If your child did that with the creepy guy in the van with no windows, you would be mortified. 
There's no way you would allow that to ever happen in your child's life again. And yet that's how we handle our sin. I'm just kind of struggling. Oh, what are, what are you doing about it? Eh, struggling. Have you put anything in place to help yourself deal with it? Are you being, like, like what are you doing? Struggling, following the van, right? Recognize it, call it what it is. This is sin. Treat it as such. Get yourself away from there and then deal with it in a very serious way. And this picture of what Hezekiah does in dealing with this fear and this lack of trust is absolutely incredible. In verses one through seven there in chapter 19, he calls Isaiah the prophet to intercede on his behalf. In verses eight through 13, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he gives one more threat, this time in the form of a written letter that's delivered to Hezekiah. And then read with me starting in verse 14. Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, read it, then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord, our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. If you're looking for what is step one, I said all of these things are, are cyclical, but let me give you what I think is step one in active, actually cultivating a life that is pursuing holiness. And that's getting into a vibrant, regular, vulnerable, transparent, dependent prayer relationship with the Lord. Nothing will reveal your sin to you faster and also put you into regular, connected relationship with the only one who's got the power to defeat it, more so than cultivating a life of prayer. And so Hezekiah goes into the temple and let's just walk our way through this because there's a beautiful model of what this can look like in your life. Number one, take whatever that issue is to the Lord. Just get it into the presence of the Lord. I love the word picture here in verse 14. Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, read it, then went up to the temple and spread it out before the Lord. It's like he gets into the temple, into the presence of God. He doesn't even have the words to come up with, with where to start. And so he just kind of like throws the letter out there on the floor. Like, here it is. I don't even know what to do. I'm just spreading my issue out in front of you, Lord. In just total honesty, total transparency. Here's exactly what the king of Assyria is saying to us. I'm afraid of it. I'm having trouble trusting that you can deliver us from it. I know that that's not right, but here it is, God. Just spreads it out there in front of him. When you find yourself in these moments of temptation or these moments of sin, take it to the Lord first. Just unroll it there in front of him. You might not even have words for like the to describe the brokenness or to exactly describe the temptation. Romans tells us that the spirit in those moments intercedes on our behalf. Just spread it out there. Get before the Lord in total open vulnerability and transparency. Here I am, God. 
and then start to pray. And there's no better place to start than where Hezekiah does in verse 15 of recognizing the Lord's greatness. Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. Look at those phrases. You are enthroned. You are God alone of all of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Make those kinds of statements and mean them from your heart. What are you doing there? You're orienting yourself to the reality that God is so much bigger than whatever you have going on in your life. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than the issue. He's the one that's powerful enough to solve it. He is enthroned. He sits in between the cherubim. He is Lord of everything. So you get there in his presence and you just spread everything out and you recognize his greatness. Why do we pursue holiness? Because God's love and grace and mercy and power are greater than the sin that ensnares us. And you might get into this moment and it feels, you know, the weight of whatever you're struggling with feels so heavy that even uttering these things is hard for you to do. And so you might need to chase them with a statement like the father who approaches Jesus in the gospel of Mark and says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I know these things are true. I know that you're greater. I know that you're Lord. I know that you're powerful. Help me know that. In the face of whatever it is that's ensnaring me right now, that wants to enslave me, that's been tripping me up for years, I know that you're greater. Help me to know it more. Help me to feel that more deeply. And then unload the challenge. Verses 16 through 18, Hezekiah just kind of talks his way through it before the Lord. I love the way he starts. Listen closely, Lord, as if he hasn't been. Open your eyes, Lord, as if he's been napping. But then he just unloads what's happening. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. It is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire, but they weren't gods. They were made by human hands, wood and stone. And so they have destroyed them. All the details, all the temptation, all the sin, everything that you seek in it instead of allowing the Lord to be the one who provides for you. Get beneath the surface. Get down to what is it that that particular sin is fulfilling inside of you that you don't think the Lord can or that you're not currently looking to the Lord to fulfill. God, I know this relationship is outside the bounds of what you say is good and holy and righteous before marriage, but it makes me feel loved. It makes me feel valued. And I'm having a hard time letting go of that. God, I know that the way that I'm talking about this person is not right, but I'll be honest with you, Lord, I don't really like them and it feels good to cut them down. I, listen, it sounds hideously ugly when you say it out loud, but we need to. Like we need to be honest about it. We need to get those things out there before the Lord in just total transparency. Unload that challenge. Get way beneath the surface. I find for myself that it's really helpful when I write these things out because there's something about thinking it and then writing it and then rereading it to myself that makes me think, ugh, that is 
sinful and gross, Tim. And we need to get this into the presence of the Lord. He is the one that can fix it. And then the beginning of verse 19, actually seek the Lord's help. This might feel implied to you, but there's something about saying it out loud. Now, Lord, our God, please save us. Please save us from his power. Ask for the help. Humble yourself. Submit. Let's go back to you've got a child. They're right in the middle of learning to tie their shoes. You're trying to get out the door, and so you go to help, and what do they say? I do it. They slap your hand away. So for like seven minutes, you're watching your child just fumble their way through trying to tie their shoe. You're getting later and later to wherever you're supposed to be, and you're just waiting for the moment when your child says what? Help me. Help me. And as soon as they ask, what do you do? Rush to help. Get before the Lord. Take that thing to the Lord. Recognize that he is more powerful. Unload that challenge and then actually seek his help. Help me, Lord. Save me from this thing. And then last, the end of verse 19. Treasure his greatness or his glory. Now, Lord, our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God. Keep the focus in the right place. Pursuing holiness is not a proud endeavor. It is humble. It's not ultimately about you. It's about bearing the image of God more closely in a broken world. And so recognize that. God, deliver this. Deliver me from this. Not that people would be impressed with me so that people might see a more true image of who you are. A more accurate picture of who Jesus Christ is. I want to just read the end of this account. I'm going to start in verse 20 and I'm going to read all the way through verse 34. This is how the Lord then responds to Hezekiah's honest prayer. His genuine desire to deal with the fear and the lack of trust that exists within him. Then Isaiah, son of Amos sent a messenger to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I've heard your prayer to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. uh, This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. So this first part is what the Lord says about Sennacherib. Virgin daughter of Zion despises you and scorns you. Daughter Jerusalem shakes her head behind your back. Who is it you mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? It's against the Holy One of Israel. You have mocked the Lord through your messengers, and you have said, With my chariots, I have gone up against the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypress trees. I came to its furthest outpost, its densest forest. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Have you not heard? I designed it long ago. I planned it in the days gone by. I have now brought it to pass, and you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. Their inhabitants have become powerless, dismayed, and ashamed. They are plants of the field, tender grass, grass on the rooftops, blasted by the east wind. But I know you're sitting down. You're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you go back the way you came. That's where he starts with King Sennacherib. And then he offers this to King Hezekiah. This will be a sign for you. 
This year you will eat what grows on its own, and in the second year what grows from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For a remnant will go out from Jerusalem and survivors from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city. Shoot an arrow here, come before it with a shield, or build up a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came, and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it for, the sake, or for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Only God can definitively provide what sin deceitfully promises. Remember the promise that the king of Assyria made? You're going to have all this food and you're going to go to this land that's it's got full cisterns and vineyards and it's got fig trees and you're going to have bread and wine and it's going to be amazing. The Lord says through Isaiah, first to King Sennacherib, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and you will go back the way you came. And then he turns to Hezekiah and he says, this year you will eat what grows in this land. And next year you will eat what grows from that. And then in the third year you will sow and you will reap. And there will be a remnant in the city of Jerusalem that takes root and begins to grow and begins to blossom. I will defend this city and rescue it. I am the one that's powerful to do this. This is the Lord's declaration. I want to I end with this. Verses 20, or verse 29 of chapter 19 makes something clear to us that, that we need to understand. What sin typically offers is a shallow shortcut to what the Lord has for us. That if you would just cut the corners here, Hezekiah, and come with me, you'll have food and you'll have water and you'll have wine, but you'll be a slave. And the Lord says, if you would give me three years of trust, you'll have everything you've ever wanted and more. It's not instant Oftentimes in the midst of really trying to work through our sin, we've got some void in our heart that we're filling with something outside of the Lord's desire and we're trying everything we can to remove that. But every time we do for a little while, we feel empty still. So we go back to it and we bring it back in and all the while the Lord is saying, if you would just give me time, I can provide for you everything and more that you've been seeking from this sinful thing. And not only can I provide that for you now, if you would just trust me, in eternity, I will give you something so much greater that you will not be even able to fathom why you ever sought this in something lesser than me. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given the answer to your sin. Eternally, yes, absolutely, praise the Lord. We have salvation thanks to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf, but you've also been given it here and now and it becomes an issue of trust. Are you willing to trust that what the Lord has for you and can deliver for you, provide for you, is infinitely greater than what sin deceitfully promises? And it might take time, and the payoff might not be immediate. It might be down the road, but that is okay. 
that is okay. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake. Let me just switch the words of that. You're doing everything you can to be just absolutely tenacious about the sin that exists in your life and you're before the Lord in prayer. Hear him say this over you. I will defend you and rescue you for my sake. That's what he says in response. I will defend you. I will rescue you. I will provide what you think sin is ultimately gonna give you and I will provide for you in a way that is so much greater. How do we pursue holiness? We're relentless and intentional. We don't coddle our sin. We recognize it for what it is, treat it as what it is, deal with it as what it is. We get it into the presence of the Lord. We take it there and we recognize his greatness and unload the challenge. We seek his help. We trust in him. We treasure his greatness and his glory. And then we just wait for him to deliver and to rescue. Active submission. I'm gonna pray for us and uh, we'll go this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son and his work on the cross on our behalf, God. That through him we have forgiveness of sin, God. That by faith in him, Lord, we receive grace that you've made available to us. Not because of anything that we've done, God. It's just a gift from you. God, I thank you that by the work of Jesus Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection, God, we can take hold of that grace and it has the power to save us eternally from the consequences of sin, God. But I also praise you that when we take hold of that grace, Lord, that we have union with Christ and that because of that power, Lord, there's also freedom from sin in this world, God. We can throw off the things that, entangle us, God. We can run with perseverance the race that you have marked out for us because of your power through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would actively submit to that. God, that we would allow you the space to convict in our hearts, God, that we would allow you the space to challenge us in our hearts and then we would allow you the space to work powerfully on our behalf. Lord, that we would be submissive to whatever that looks like us needing to do. God, that we would return to you at, just at all times, Lord, allowing you to illuminate within our hearts areas that are broken, God, to show us when we're looking at something other than the gospel, God. We long to be people who bear your image well in this world and hold out a picture of the gospel with our lives. God, I pray that your spirit would do that work in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before you go, if you'll look inside your bulletin, there's a half-sheet handout. It's like this size. Um, listed on there are a, a lot of resources and just kind of tangible next steps you could take in your own pursuit of holiness. Let me give a plug for the first thing that's on that sheet, and that's get in a small group. Pursuing holiness is not something you do alone. It happens in relationship with the Lord and in relationship with other believers. If you're looking for a practical kind of step that you could take or you and your family could take, get yourself in a small group. Also listed in there are a number of books. 
One approach we decided not to take over the course of talking about pursuing holiness is just to like rifle our way through a list of spiritual disciplines. Those things are very, very important. They're a means by which you cultivate a relationship with the Lord. They can be powerful in helping you overcome sin. And so there are a number of resources listed on that little half sheet of books you could check out to facilitate that aspect of your relationship with the Lord and help you as you seek to pursue holiness. And so we didn't go that route, but we wanted to provide you with plenty of resources to go that route on your own should you choose. We encourage you to check out any of those. If you're like, ah, I'm kind of interested in this book, but I don't want to buy it, come find one of us on staff. We own most of them uh, either personally or we have them here at the church and we could either loan it to you or at least let you thumb through it and check it out. So an encouragement to look at that, get in a small group if you're not in one, check out those resources if you're interested in more on this topic. Sound good? Uh, One last thing, there are donuts out there from the Japan mission trip uh, students. Lamar sent us a, a double portion, which is wonderfully nice of them but it means we need to sell twice as many donuts. So if you haven't been eating donuts the last couple weeks, go ahead and eat one today. If you've been eating one, it's a holiday weekend, eat two. Sound good? We'll see you next Sunday.